Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and this is today's episode of our Truth Tidbits as we continue reading through the scriptures this year. God bless you, welcome, and thank you for tuning in. Today we are in the book of Revelation. We are in Revelation chapter 19, and we are in the most exciting part of this entire chapter as we enter it today, and I want to give it justice so we will not rush through this section. Today I'd like to cover one verse of this, but I'm going to go ahead and read the entire section. In Revelation chapter 19, I'd like to begin the reading in verse 11. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Hallelujah. Praise be to God. Oh, I love this section of Revelation, and I want to do it justice, so I want to take it slowly so that we can truly understand Jesus in his second coming as conquering king, lion of the tribe of Judah, riding in victory. Praise be to God. His true, final, triumphal entry. Hallelujah. So let's take a quick moment to review just a few things here. We recall in earlier chapters that we were told the seventh trumpet, when it sounded, it was decreed that the mystery of God would be completed. And what remained after that, that completed the mystery of God, the entire vengeance of God, that had been postponed and hidden up to this point are these seven bold judgments that have now occurred by the time we get to Revelation 19:11. The vengeance of God on Babylon has been completed, beginning with that seventh bowl, chapter 17 and 18, and we're going to see the final completion of this, as well as the judgment on all the nations and all the enemies of the Lord himself. We saw in the sixth bowl judgment, when that happened, that the earth and the Antichrist armies, the Bible tells us, gather at Armageddon. This is a military coalition, a military endeavor and campaign. They are gathering there with the intent that they are going to battle against the Lord himself. I want to read a few verses from Joel or Joel. Let's look back in the prophet Joel 
in the Old Testament prophet books, one of the book of the twelve, the minor prophets they're called. And I want to read in Joel or Joel verses one through three of chapter three. For behold, in those days and at that time, when I bring back the captives of Judah and Jerusalem, I will also gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat, and I will enter into judgment with them there on account of my people, my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations. They have also divided up my land. They have cast lots for my people, have given a boy as payment for a harlot, and sold a girl for wine that they may drink. So God is angry with the nations, with all the people that are his enemies. He is now entering into judgment with them. And the Bible tells us that he is bringing them down, down from the gathering place from Armageddon. He is bringing them down to the Valley of Jehoshaphat, the Kidron Valley, there beside Jerusalem. Now, we covered this in more detail in the episode entitled Gathering Place, so you can certainly go back and look at that. By Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, these armies are now down in the valley of Jehoshaphat, or they are coming. They are gathering there now. They are anticipating making war against Jerusalem and against the Lamb. They have divided up the land. They have brought severe judgment upon themselves because of their treatment for God's people, Jerusalem. He is telling us here that he's pleading the case for Jerusalem against these nations. And so here in Revelation 19.11, we find Jesus' triumphal entry. Now we see an earlier time period in Jesus' first coming when he was exalted as the king riding into Jerusalem. At that time, that was a little bit different. Let's look at these. That was perhaps a beginning fulfillment and certainly a fulfillment of Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. You can certainly look that up. That's the prophetic word that said that Jerusalem's king would come riding on a donkey lowly and bringing salvation. And that was fulfilled at Jesus' first ride into Jerusalem on that donkey on that day close to his death as he ushered in his final week of service as the suffering servant when he would give his life for all who would believe in him. We call that his triumphal entry. And that first ride on that donkey he did fulfill Zechariah 9.9. But now, in the far fulfillment of all the prophets, we don't see him riding on a donkey. He is coming now at his second coming, hallelujah, to fulfill all the remaining words about his coming. I'd like to read one of those as we begin to discuss this section the first place I want us to look at is Matthew chapter 23, and I want to read verses 37 through 39. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets 
and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together, as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate, for I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Baruch haba b'shem Adonai. Hallelujah. On this day, Jerusalem now, who's been holed up for these last three and a half years, in the place prepared for her in the wilderness, according to Revelation 12 and other places in Scripture, including Jesus' own words. Israel's been holed up there. During that time, God has been working, according to the prophet Hosea, in chapter 2, verse 14 of Hosea, to allure them to him in the wilderness. He's been working to bring them to the place that Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10 through 14 speaks of, where they're going to look upon him whom they have pierced and mourn for him as for an only son and repent of their sins. They're going to fulfill this word of Jesus. They're going to cry out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're going to see that their Messiah has already come. And it was Jesus, the Christ, the son of the living God. It was Jesus, Yeshua HaMashiach. And they're going to recognize him now and receive him as their Lord and Savior. And they're going to fulfill this word at this second coming, this true triumphal entry of Jesus Christ. Not that the first triumphal entry wasn't true and a triumphal entry. He did fulfill prophecy in that coming, and he is king even then. But at that time, he was coming to suffer and die. Now he's coming to rule and reign. He is king of kings and lord of lords. Hallelujah. Now we're unsure of exactly what the sequence will be when Jesus rides in on this horse. But it appears that he first goes to his people in answer to this cry in Matthew chapter 23. He first appears to them, washes away their sins. This is the true day of atonement for them. He comes, he removes their sins and their iniquities. He says he would do it in the prophets. It spoke about him doing that in one day. That's this day. That's the day of his true triumphal entry at his second coming. He's going to come to his people who have been brought to repent and to call upon him and welcome him. They're calling unto him to be saved. He comes to his people. It appears that he comes there first. The scriptures do seem to indicate that. If you'll notice in Isaiah 63, for instance, when he is coming up to Jerusalem to battle them, where he will stand on the Mount of Olives, like Zechariah 14 says, it says in Isaiah 63, who is this coming up from Basra? And the answer is he's the one who has tread the winepress of the wrath of Almighty God. He has come from Basra where his people are held up and he has brought salvation to them. He has tread the winepress and now is coming up to Jerusalem to execute the vengeance on all of his enemies there that the prophets have foretold. So it appears from scripture that he goes first to his people in Basra, saves and delivers them. 
Jeremiah chapter 49, verse 22 also speaks of that. Then, according to Isaiah 63, he comes up to Jerusalem, to this Kidron Valley, to this battle. I want to read also in Joel, or Joel chapter 3, a few other verses. I want to read verses 9 through 12. This is in this entire context in Joel or Joel chapter 3 of this second coming of Jesus when he will defeat his enemies. Verse 9 says this, and you see here also the Lord is in control of every bit of this and has been the whole time. He's been pulling them down. He's been putting it in their hearts to battle against him. He's been doing everything and setting the stage because his word will be fulfilled exactly to the exact point that every prophet has prophesied prior. So I want to begin the reading in chapter 3 of Joel in verse 9. Proclaim this among the nations. Prepare for war. Wake up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am strong. Assemble and come, all you nations, and gather together all around. Cause your mighty ones to go down. Cause your mighty ones to go down there, O Lord. Let the nations be wakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Then it goes on down. It talks about the winepress, the sickle. This is all relative to this exact same time. And God is going to fulfill this prophetic word at this triumphal entry as Jesus rides onto the scene. I want to look at Zechariah chapter 14, and I want to read the first seven verses. Verse 1 says, Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, and your spoil will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city shall be taken, the houses rifled, and the women ravished. Half of the city shall go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. And in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west, making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move toward the north and half of it toward the south. Then you shall flee through my mountain valley, for the mountain valley shall reach to Azel. Yes, you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Thus the Lord my God will come and all the saints with you. It shall come to pass in that day that there will be no light. The lights will diminish. It shall be one day which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night, but at evening time it shall happen that it will be light. So here we see that by the time Jesus comes up into this battle and stands on the Mount of Olives and it splits, they have the enemies and the armies have come into Jerusalem and they have divided his land. They have divided his city. That is the city that is the Lord's, Jerusalem. It belongs to him. His name 
has been placed there by he himself. It is his city. So, when this happens, enter the rescue from Jesus. This now appears on the scene. He stands on the Mount of Olives, splits, and the valley is created. The enemies are trying to flee through that valley to get away from him. It reminds me so much of when, you know, if, you, if you've ever seen or been in a home or whatever where they have roaches and you turn a light on and you see roaches scatter. They are trying to, poof, they, they are running as fast as they can, trying to get away. That's what this is happening, is sim- something similar to that. These enemies are trying to flee every which way they can to get away from this lamb, but they will not succeed. Jesus fights with his enemies, and he will win every battle that he's ever fought. It says here he fights as in the day of battle, as he fights in the day of battle. This reminds us of things such as the fight in the day when they were at the Red Sea. Remember, Moses had brought the children of Israel, and they were at the Red Sea. And the Lord's decree was, I'm going to fight this battle. You watch what I'm going to do. And God defeated his enemy there. And then you come to Jehoshaphat in Second Chronicles 20, and God fights that battle, and God wins. There's other times in the scriptures where God fights the battle. And let me tell you, if Jesus ever enters a battle, he wins every time. He'll never lose any battle he enters. He'll never lose any battle he fights. He is the victor with a 1,000 batting average, so to speak. He is going to win every battle. So he fights. And notice this, that Zechariah tells us, all the saints are with him. Hallelujah. We're going to talk about that soon. But we will be riding with him, behind him. And we don't have to fight. We don't have to fear that. You know, some have affectionately said that we'll be in our white wedding garment, riding on these horses with, you know, hand grenades and whatever on our hips. But we know that that's just an affectionate way to put this beauty of this chapter. However, we're not going to be fighting at all. We're just there as the cheerleading squad. We're just there lifting the praise and glorifying the Lord. It may be that we say some of the same things on the earth or in the air when we are coming with the Lord that we decreed just a few verses earlier in chapter 19. Alleluia! The Lord God omnipotent reigns. Maybe, maybe that might be one of our declarations. We don't know, but we'll be cheerleading him on because it's all about him. It's his triumphal ride. He is the victor. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. Hallelujah. The scriptures give us some indication of some things that may be said during this time. Psalm 79, for instance, appears to me to be a prayer of repentance that the Jews may decree in Basra. There's definitely, I see a possibility, if not perhaps a probability, that that is a prophetic psalm that will be uttered by the Jewish people as they welcome Messiah and cry out to him to come to them during their time in the wilderness at this place the Bible calls Basra. Then Psalm 45, 
is known to be the wedding song of the Messiah by the Jewish people. Perhaps we will say or sing some of this as we ride or as we prepare to ride. I want to direct your attention to a few verses from that song because this is definitely very pertinent to what we are discussing here in Revelation 19, verse 11. Notice how it's similar. Beginning in verse 2 of Psalm 45, it says this, You are fairer than the sons of men. Grace is poured upon your lips. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. Gird your sword upon your thigh, O mighty one, with your glory and your majesty. And in your majesty, ride prosperously because of truth, humility, and righteousness. And your right hand shall teach you awesome things. Your arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies. The peoples fall under you. Oh, hallelujah. This is that day when Jesus is riding in his glory and in his majesty in this triumphal entry when he will rule and reign and he will defeat his enemies. Psalm 110 also applies at this point. Let's look at that one. In Psalm 110, David is prophetically writing here. And he says, the Lord said to my Lord, meaning God the Father said to God the Son, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Here again, it's prophetically speaking of a day when the Lord will have victory over his enemies. Continuing in the reading, verse 2, The Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion. Ride, ride in the midst of your enemies. Your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power. In the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning, you have the dew of your youth. The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He shall execute kings in the day of his wrath. He shall judge among the nations. He shall fill the places with dead bodies. He shall execute the heads of many countries. He shall drink of the brook by the wayside. Therefore, he shall lift up the head. In other words, he's going to complete the job, his vengeance and his wrath will be utterly done, and all of his enemies will be defeated. Praise be to God. Isaiah has several others, and we will discuss some of those in coming episodes. Truly, Jesus is coming in this time, this second coming, as a truly triumphal and victorious rider on this white horse. Notice the beginning of chapter 19 tells us in this section, verse 11, that the heavens are opened. It may be, and it does appear to fit, that at this time they will be rolled back like a scroll, the heavens rolled back. We've seen that one, that reference once before in the book of Revelation. But notice the connection here in the prophetic word given to Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 34. I want to read this and I want you to note the similarities because of the context being the time of Jesus coming. Let's read Isaiah chapter 34, beginning in verse 1. Come near, you nations, to hear and heed, you people. Let the earth hear and all that is in it, the world and all things that come forth from it. 
for the indignation of the Lord is against all nations and his fury against all their armies. He has utterly destroyed them. He has given them over to the slaughter. Also their slain shall be thrown out. Their stench shall rise from their corpses and the mountains shall be melted with their blood. All the host of heaven shall be dissolved and the heavens shall be rolled up like a scroll. All their hosts shall fall down as the leaf falls from the vine and as fruit falling from a fig tree. For my sword shall be bathed in heaven. Indeed, it shall come down on Edom and on the people of my curse for judgment. The sword of the Lord is filled with blood. It is made overflowing with fatness, with the blood of lambs and goats, with the fat of the kidneys of rams. For the Lord has a sacrifice in Basra and a great slaughter in the land of Edom. The wild oxen will come down with them and the young bulls with the mighty bulls. Their land shall be soaked with blood and their dust saturated with fatness. For it is the day of the Lord's vengeance, the year of recompense for the cause of Zion. Its stream shall be turned into pitch and its dust into brimstone. Its land shall become burning pitch. It shall not be quenched night or day. Its smoke shall ascend forever. From generation to generation it shall lie waste. No one shall pass through it forever and ever. But the pelican and the porcupine shall possess it, and also the owl and the raven shall dwell in it. And he shall stretch out over it the line of confusion and the stones of emptiness. They shall call its nobles to the kingdom, but none shall be there, and all its princes shall be nothing. And thorns shall come up in its palaces, nettles and branches in its fortresses, It shall be a habitation of jackals, a courtyard for ostriches. The wild beast of the desert shall also meet with the jackals, and the wild goat shall bleat to its companion. Also the night creature shall rest there and find for herself a place of rest. There the arrow snake shall make her nest and lay eggs and hatch and gather them under her shadow. There also shall the hawks be gathered, every one with her mate. Search from the book of the Lord and read. Not one of these shall fail, not one shall lack her mate. For my mouth has commanded it, and his spirit has gathered them. He has cast the lot for them, and his hand has divided it among them with a measuring line. They shall possess it forever from generation to generation. They shall dwell in it. So we see in this chapter many things that have connected with Jesus' triumphal entry here at his second coming, and that this word is in the context of his coming in the day of vengeance over his enemies. So we see how the scriptures have told us many things about the timing of this coming. Now this rider shows up when the heavens are opened. Here we see this rider on a white horse. The first time he came on the triumphal entry on the donkey, he was coming meek and lowly as a servant, bringing salvation to the nation to die, coming to die for them so that they could have the precious blood of Jesus as payment for their sins and believe in that, in his finished work, and receive him and be born again, a brand new creation in Christ Jesus, become his bride. Now, this last and final second ride, his triumphal entry here, he's coming on a white horse, a kingly steed. 
I remember several years ago, I wrote a, a novel. It's a biblical spec fiction novel. It involves angels and so forth. And, and if you'd like to pick it up, you certainly can. It's available on Amazon and other places on the web. And it's entitled Celestial Secret. And in that novel, my intent and my enjoyment was to consider and to present a rendition of the gospel of Jesus Christ from the angel's perspective. And I have him on a white horse, having riding a beautiful kingly steed at points in that particular novel story. The entire intent of that story is to consider the, the gospel message of Jesus Christ from the angel's perspective. And whenever I was trying to write that, I remember searching for a beautiful kingly looking steed that would fit the royal King Jesus who would be riding on it. And the closest thing I found, of course, in this life anyway, was a Lipizzaner, a Lipizzaner horse, beautiful white Lipizzaner, to me, is a kingly type steed, one that a royal person could ride in majesty on. Now that's just a thought. I don't know what horses are going to look like in heaven, and I guarantee you they'll probably be better than anything down here. But he's going to be on a royal steed, a beautiful white horse, he is king. He is coming conquering and in victory. And at this moment, in his ride, he is coming for war. He is having his vengeance against all of his enemies and fulfilling every prophetic word about his victory over his enemies. So first on his agenda, as we've discussed, it appears that he's coming first to redeem his people that have been held up in Basra. And then he will tread that wine press there, so to speak. He will have his garments dipped in the blood of those bitter grapes that he has tread. And he is coming up to Jerusalem where he has already drawn the nations down to Jerusalem, to the Valley of Jehoshaphat. And now he's going to enter war. He's going to have his victory over his enemies and they will now become his footstool, fulfilling Psalm 110, verse 1, and other passages. I want to read a few passages. We're going to begin to draw to a close here, and I'd like to read a few passages as we do that to sum these things up. First of all, let's go to Luke chapter 20. In Luke chapter 20, I want to read verses 41 through 44. This is a time when Jesus will be speaking here, and it says this, And he, meaning Jesus, said to them, how can they say that Christ is the son of David? Now David himself said in the book of Psalms, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore David calls him Lord. How is he then his son? Jesus is trying to help them understand how he is the son of David, fulfilling the prophetic word about the son of David, being heir to the throne and coming to ascend his throne, which we will get into in coming episodes of our Revelation study, but that David also calls him Lord. And so this is the context of what he's saying here. But he quotes the scripture from Psalm 110, and he 
affirms that it is true and that it is true of him. Now we have two other witnesses in the New Testament that also testify of this very thing. The first one is Peter. Go to Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, Peter is speaking here and he says this beginning in verse 34. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. So Peter is also affirming this and affirming that it was a prophetic word fulfilled in Jesus and that his enemies will be made his footstool. Then we also have the author of Hebrews that affirms this for us. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11, it says this, beginning in verse 11, And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. So here the author of Hebrews also attests for us and affirms for us that this is speaking of Jesus and that his enemies will become his footstool. So who is this writer identified in Revelation 19? Well, he tells us there that he is that rider on the white horse. His name is Faithful and True. You can see him named that again in Revelation chapter 3, verse 7, and verse 14. And it is Jesus, the same person who's writing the letters to the churches in chapters 2 and 3. He is writing in righteousness. In other words, according to the standard of everything that is right and just and true, with no deviation whatsoever. He is coming in righteousness, and in righteousness... He judges and makes war, we are told here. He judges, he rules as the just judge. He makes right, sound, and legally binding decrees and sentences against his enemies and for his people. He is the judge, and he is a just judge. And he makes war. He fights, and he wins. As we've seen, he will win every battle, he fights. This is his triumphal entry as conquering and victorious king. And maybe we will again say, Alleluia, for the Lord our God omnipotent reigns. Praise be to God. Jesus is the conquering and victorious king riding in on this beautiful kingly steed as the victor. Hallelujah. Praise be to God. I pray that this has been a blessing to you. And Lord willing, you can join us again for future episodes of Truth Tidbits. God bless you today in Jesus' name. Amen.